Good morning, church. Pastor Jason here. As you can tell, I am not with you in person. However, I'm super excited to let you know that Pastor Steve is going to be bringing the message this morning, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If you're with us for the first time, we would love to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better, and our way of doing that is by having you take your phone and scan that little QR code that's on the back of the seat there in front of you, and that will give us the opportunity just to connect with you a little bit further. I will be back with you uh, next Sunday. I'm very excited about that as well because we get to celebrate baptisms together. So until then, God bless you guys. Love you. See you soon. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good morning, online church. Good to see you this morning as well. Or I guess it's good to be seen. I guess that's a better way to say it. You know, there's a phrase that uh, somebody put together back in the 1930s, 1940s that's been quoted by politicians, by astronauts, and even by coaches that says there are people, people who make things happen, and there are people who watch things happen, and then there are people who wonder what happened. And to be successful in life, you have to be an individual who makes things happen. As we open up the scriptures this morning to Acts chapter 17, and I'll encourage you to open your Bibles to Acts 17, today we find a team of evangelists uh, led by the Apostle Paul who were determined to make things happen. And clearly they did because our text will tell us this morning that they turned the world upside down, whatever that means. We'll get to that later. Um, and you have to ask your question, how could four men in a few short weeks, in a few short places, have such an effect on a culture that their enemies would claim that they've turned the world upside down. Well, it starts with Paul. And as you know, Paul, having come to know Jesus Christ personally, he would be go on to say when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9 that he would do absolutely anything for the sake of the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, which is just a couple of chapters ahead here, Paul gives us what I believe is his life verse, and it's found in Acts 20, 24, where Paul says, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing was more important to Paul than sharing the gospel, and we see that on full display this morning in Acts 17, 1 through 15. And I pray as we get into it, it will encourage you as you think about sharing Christ with your family, with your friends, co-workers, uh, even with strangers. Um, let's go to verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Ap Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Well, we need to understand a little bit of geography we're here. After Paul and Silas and their new convert, Timothy, along with Luke, who writes the book of Acts here, um, were guided by a vision from a man in Macedonia, they left Turkey and, and went to Troas and sailed from Troas to Philippi. And you'll see it on a map here. Um, you'll see Troas kind of up center, center towards the top, and then you see a little curve going up to, to Philippi. Uh, Neapolis, and then then Philippi, which is a little bit out of the map, uh, out of the picture, but that's okay. It's up in the north there. They go from Asia Minor to, to Greece, Macedonia. In Acts chapter 16 last week, we saw that uh, Paul preaches the gospel. A, a very successful businesswoman, Lydia, a seller of purple, converts to, to Christianity. She accepts Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul also encounters some opposition as he drives out the demonic spirit of a slave girl 
And the owners of the slave girl are so upset because her fortune telling was now being wiped out. They were going to lose their money. So the, they drag Paul and, and Silas before the authorities, charging them with disturbing the peace and advocating customs that were against Roman law. And you, you heard, you remember what, what happened. They were thrown into jail, chained. And in the middle of the night, an earthquake hit as they were praying and singing. And their chains broke off, but they didn't leave right away. They waited because they had one more job to do, and that was to share the gospel with the Philippian jailer. And so the, the, they shared with the Philippian jailer. He accepts Jesus Christ, and so does the entire household. And then they're released, and uh, they're, they're released at the end of chapter 16, and they go on their way about 50 miles south to a town called Thessalonica. Um, they, they took what, what's been called the Ignatian Way, or the Via Ignatia, uh, through Amphipolis and Apollonia to Thessalonica. We don't know that any ministry was done in those two cities before they got to Thessalonica because I think at the end of the day, what was most important was getting to Thessalonica, or as they say today, Thessaloniki. Um, and uh, the reason why they did is because Thessalonica was an absolutely incredibly important destination. It was the fourth largest city in the empire, over 200,000 people. Um, it was the capital of Macedonia at the time, the center of government for the entire region of what we probably know now as, as uh, Northern Greece. It was the North Scottsdale of Macedonia. It was one of the most prosperous cities in the province. It also had a major port that linked it to cities all over, the, uh, uh, the, uh, all over what we call now modern Greece. And it would be easy, I would think, from Paul's perspective, if he got there and started, a, you know, preaching the gospel and started a small church, that that church could be like a church planting church for the rest of, of Macedonia. And it's interesting to note that later on when he writes 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, verse 8, that proved to be true. Because Paul says, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, he's talking to the Thessalonians, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, southern Greece, but also in every place your faith in God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. And so what's the first thing that Paul does after he's jailed, beaten, gets released, walks 50 miles, a couple of days down to Thessalonica, you think he might check into the Motel 6 and relax? No, it says the first thing that Paul and his team does is to find a synagogue of the Jew at the end of verse 1. Going on, verse 2, Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And I'll go back to that in a second, saying, this is the Jesus whom I proclaim to you. He is the Christ. Notice that the scripture says here that it was his custom. Paul went to the Jews first because he considered himself to be the missionary to the Jewish community first. And the reason why I think that it was easy for him to go to the synagogue first is because Paul was versed in the Old Testament. The Jews were versed in the Old Testament. There, was no, there were no New Testament letters probably at this point when Paul was, 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 visiting, was visiting them. So he would build on their understanding of the Old Testament as he would share the gospel with them, which sounds a little strange. And this wasn't a hit and run, hand it before spiritual laws track, explain it really quickly, and then take off. 
He was there for three entire weeks. And the the passage says here that he spent those three weeks reasoning with them. There's an interesting word in Greek. It's dialegomai. Does that sound pretty familiar? Dialogue. He dialogued back and forth with these Jews. So he probably didn't just get up and preach a sermon like we do. He probably sat in the synagogue, opened up the Old Testament scriptures, and shared with them how Jesus Christ fits the profile of the Old Testament Messiah and how that was necessary for that Messiah in the Old Testament uh, to die. Notice that he says that this dialoguing went on. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He wasn't just giving him the, them his opinion. He was reasoning with them from the scriptures. He began with what they had. The Old Testament, the Psalms, the, the, uh, the writings, the prophets, Moses. And so he used the Old Testament as he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to die and raise from the dead, providing proof that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. Well, I wonder how many of us this morning, if we were to ask to take out our, our Bibles and just use the Old Testament and share how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Messiah, if we could actually do that. Could we actually share the gospel from the Old Testament without coming to the New Testament? Well, that's basically what Paul did. And I'm sure what he did is he probably took them to Psalm 22, which is a description of the crucifixion hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented as a means of execution. So he's already talking about the crucifixion of the Messiah before crucifixion was even invented. I'm pretty confident that he also probably went to Isaiah chapter 53, where in Isaiah 53, the prophet shows that Messiah was despised and forsaken of men. He was pierced through for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The Lord caused our sin to fall on him. He rendered himself as a guilt offering for you and and for me, justifying us by the bearing of our sin. But his resurrection is also implied at the end of chapter 53 in Isaiah in verse 12, where God says, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Because the Messiah would die, he would come back to life, And he would find a place among the great, which is an implication towards the resurrection. And so he would go on to prove it was necessary for the Messiah to be crushed and to die because of sin. And I'm sure he probably took the the Jews back to, all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve decided that they didn't feel that God's instructions were good enough for them, so they went on their own and were disobedient. And we know what the implications were. We know what the results were of that disobedience. Paul makes it very clear a little bit later when he writes to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 23, where he says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation, It was necessary for Messiah to die so that we might not spend eternity separated from God. And then he goes on, I'm sure he probably went on as he was speaking to these Jews, 
and shared what he would pen later in Romans chapter 6. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul had taken the Old Testament and he summed up how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Messiah, the one who died, was raised again for our sins. Well, this preaching obviously elicited a couple of interesting responses. Look at verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Several of the Jews were persuaded and they decided to follow them. I assume this means they believed in Jesus, but I'm not quite sure. It just simply says they were convinced of Paul's message. And so they started following them. And, and at the same time, there were some God-fearing, devout, God-fearing Greeks, religious guys who the message clicked for. And so they were persuaded and they started following. And then it isn't, isn't it interesting that Paul also mentions the fact that there were women that accepted the message that were persuaded, leading women, women from the upper class, women who had influence in the synagogue and in the streets of Thessalonica. They were persuaded and they started following the team. Verse five, <laughs> but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The Jews got angry. And it is this zeal, this zealousness, is an anger that's caused by envy and, and greed at its heart. So out of their envy, they go into the marketplace and they find the rabble. What a great, great noun, no? The rabble. They were essentially men who were useless. Rabble literally means worthless. And not only were they worthless, they were wicked. And they were probably guys just hanging around, waiting for somebody to show up with a banner and say, let's start a riot. I think you can probably relate to that with what we've lived through over the last 12 months. But that's exactly what happens. The Jews get these guys to incite a riot with a bunch of wicked, lazy loafers. The mob gets as far as Jason's house where they pro evidently heard that that's where Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke were staying. And when they get there, they search the house and guess what? They're not there. Jason's there, their host, and they drag him out of his house screaming. The shouting is really screaming. And again, I think you can relate to what that is like for a crowd to be screaming certain things. Um, certainly, they, they, were, they were wanting some sort of revenge. They were wanting some sort of repercussion for these guys who, in the next phrase, he says, turned the world upside down. Now, in this context, turning the world upside down is not a positive deal. To the Jews who said that, it was a negative deal 
because the phrase really means in its context here to stir up trouble or, or to rebel or to reject authority, even to incite a revolt. And while the charges against Paul and the, and the other three are false, the, the, the truth was that one thing stuck with the Jews when it was all said and done. In the midst of their, their wanting to incite and arrest and whatever else, one thing got through, and it's found in, in the verses there, where it says that these men have turned the world up, upside down, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that, notice, there is another king. Of all the stuff that they didn't want to hear, one thing did click with them, that Paul was preaching that there was another king besides Caesar. And that king is Jesus Christ. Well, the magistrates, they didn't really know what to do. I'm sure they didn't want the riot to continue. So they struck a deal with Jason, and they said, look, here's what we'll do. If you guys put up a bond, if you'll pay money, give us a deposit, on, put, put a deposit on hold, We'll, we'll let you go free. We won't bother these other guys as long as you promise not to incite any more trouble. As if it was their fault for inciting the riot. So Jason puts up the bond and they release Jason and the other guys slip out away and they go from Thessalonica down about 50 miles to, to Berea, another town. Now I don't know about you, but after a couple of weeks of sailing being thrown in prison, arrested, stoned, chained, yelled at, whatever else, I would think when Paul got to Berea that the first thing he would want to do was check into the Berean Motel 6 and relax for a couple of days and take stock of what was going on. But that isn't what the scriptures say here. It says in, in verse 6 that the brothers, after they immediately send Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Paul was determined to share the gospel no matter the consequences, no matter what. And he was determined to continue to share the gospel, reasoning, explaining, proving that Jesus was the Messiah no matter what. And notice the response. We don't have here what he actually shared like we did in the previous uh, example in Thessalonica. But we do have the, the similar responses. Because we find in verse 11 and 12, now these Jews were more no, noble than those in Thessalonica. And that simply means they were more open-minded. They received the, world with, the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, without a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. <laughs> Same groups of people. Jews... Devout Greeks, women of high standing, leading women. And Luke says that they were more noble, more open-minded. They have, had a willingness to learn what Paul had to say. And they liked what they heard because it says they received the word with all eagerness. They wanted to know the truth. But notice that they don't believe right away. They aren't pers persuaded right at that instant moment. Because the scripture says here, as they go on, that they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was preaching was, in fact, the truth. And I think there's an example for you and me. You know, I, sometimes I think it's really easy for you and me to show up to church 
and we listen to what Jason has to say, or, and or maybe you like to listen to Alistair Begg, or John MacArthur, or Stephen Furtick, or Matt Chandler, or, or someone else, your favorite pastor, and um, you find yourself saying a lot, you know what Pastor Matt says, Pastor John says, Pastor Jason says, Pastor Dana says, Pastor C says, and we end up only repeating what we've heard. Not because we've necessarily studied the scriptures for ourselves. So when it comes to make important decisions in our life that impact the scripture, about what we're going to do with our life, our relationships, etc., we depend on somebody else to encourage that. We, we, we look to somebody else to tell us what we should do. And the Bereans were people who were convinced that they, they had to know that the scriptures were telling them what they should do and how to do it. And I think this was Paul's attitude from the very beginning, and it extended throughout his ministry, because when he, when he finally gets around to encouraging Timothy in his, in his last letter to Timothy, he says in chapter 2, Timothy, I want you to do your best to present yourself before God uh, approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He wanted Timothy, who was along with him on this trip here in, in chapter 17, he wanted to make sure that Timothy would search the scriptures for himself. So that when he said, I believe that, dot, 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 because the scriptures tell me that, not because Paul said it, or not because pastor so-and-so said it, but because I believe after studying the scriptures, this is what they say. So even though they were excited about hearing Paul's preaching, they still did their own, their own study to see if it was true or not. And the result was that many believed. Not everybody, but many believed. And in the meantime, word gets back to the Jews in Thessalonica that incited the riot back in Thessalonica, verses 13 through 15. And the scripture says, here, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. They traveled the 50 miles, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that religious Jews from 50 miles away would come once again and try to incite a riot? I'm sure not wanting to, to necessarily see Paul be thrown into jail and go through a hassle. The leaders, or the, the people that are with him, usher him off down to the sea. He gets in a boat. He goes across to, goes down to Athens where Paul is determined again to share the gospel, and he does so in an incredible way, as you'll hear next week, as he preaches the, the, the sermon to the unknown God on, on Mars Hill. But when you think about it, four cities, four synagogues, probably no more than three or four weeks, these four guys persecuted, thrown out, arrested, and even stoned. And yet, following their leader, Paul, they were determined 
to share the gospel no matter what. In these first 15 verses of Acts chapter 17, these two remarkable moments serve as an example of how just, just how determined Paul was to share the gospel and how doing so turned the world upside down in a very, very short order. Now, earlier I said in its context, this phrase is negative. But now I want to turn it to a positive because I want to talk to you about what it would take for you to turn your world upside down for Christ in a positive way. And I guess I'll just ask by asking a few simple questions. Number one, are you interested in making a difference in your home, at work, in the community, in the world? Well, yeah, Steve, but, but I don't know what to do or say. If I were to ask you right now, would you be able to open your Bible and share the gospel clearly with me? Would you be able to take me to passages in the scripture that I could read for myself and become convinced? If you're hesitant to answer that question with a yes, if you're not sure, have I got a deal for you this morning? I want you to use either the text connect or I want you to email info at illuminatecommunity.com, info at illuminatecommunity.com. And if you mention, you know, I want to know about how to share the gospel, I will send you something that will encourage you and help you prepare to share the gospel from, from the scriptures. So that you'll never have to answer that question, no, again. How many of you have really tried it before? How many have really shared the gospel? And people responded, praise God. But how many times perhaps have you been rejected? How many times have they tried to embarrass you because of your sharing the faith? Maybe they even laughed at you because you shared what you know of the gospel. The question that comes out of this text this morning for you is how determined are you to share the gospel? You realize God has no other plan B. He's not sending Martians down to earth to share the gospel with his world. He's chosen men and women in this generation. He's chosen you to share the gospel and make disciples of all nations. The question is whether or not you are determined enough to allow him to do that work in and through you, through his spirit. Are you determined? Or are you laying back? If you're serious about changing our world, you need to be determined to share the gospel no matter what. Acts 17, 1 through 15 tells us that to turn the world upside down for Christ, you need to be determined to share the gospel no matter what. No matter the response. I hope this morning that if you're laying back, this passage might encourage you to become determined. And for those of you that are determined and you need the tools, I hope we can provide them for you.
And I hope that someday soon the community of Scottsdale might say that those crazy people up at Illuminate Community Church meeting in that office building have turned North Scottsdale upside down. That would be my prayer. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning and ask first and foremost that they might be convinced about what the word says in Acts chapter 17. I pray that they might be convinced about the truth of the gospel and the necessity to prove that Jesus is that Messiah, the Christ, that he had to die for our sin. And I pray that you would give each and every one of us an extra measure of determination to share that gospel, no matter what response comes our way. Because we know that even if one accepts you as their savior, we've done the, we've, we've got mission accomplished. And because Lord, it will also do that which brings you the most glory. And that's what we wanna do in our lives is bring you the glory. So give us that determination to share the gospel no matter what for your glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said,